Father God, we thank you so much for your um, tangible presence with us tonight. And I pray that we'll continue now to rest in you. And I pray that you'll have uh, my words anointed with your spirit in such a way they'll minister to those who need to hear. Thank you, Father. Amen. When um, Mark was talking about the waterfall, I saw a waterfall and I fell down and I was quite surprised because it turned into, it, not quite a bubble bath, but it um, did have bubbles on it. And I said to God, what is that? But at that point, the sunshine came onto it and all the bubbles had rainbows in it. And that is God's promises to us. That's his yes and amen in Jesus. And so it's not just that we have the water of the Holy Spirit, but we have the promises of all that Jesus can and does do for us. And um, for whoever it is here or online who's got the aching shoulder and the top of their right arm, if you come forward for prayer afterwards, God really wants to meet with you. If you're online, let the Holy Spirit minister to that pain now with his healing power. So, Romans 6, 1 to 14. Not last Saturday, the Saturday before, I was in the Bell Sit with my um, grandson and his girlfriend. And she asked me what I was going to do after lunch. And I said I was going to write a sermon. And it was in my head. It had been in my head for about a fortnight. But I needed to get it on paper. And I, she said, what's it about? So I said, sin. And she said, what exactly is that? And I thought, what a good question. So, I'm taking a definition from Cornelius Plantinger's book, and it's, the book's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's a brilliant book. And here's his definition of sin. He says, sin's always a departure from the norm and is assessed accordingly. It's a deviant, it's perverse... It is an injustice, an inequity, an ingratitude. He goes on to say, sin in the Exodus literature is a disorder, a disobedience. It's faithfulness, it's faithlessness, lawlessness, godlessness. And he goes on to say, sin is both the other stepping of the line and the failure to reach it. It's both a transgression and a shortcoming. It's the missing of the mark a spoiling of goods, a fragmentation. And then he goes on to sum it up a little bit. He says, sin culpably disturbs shalom. Now, shalom in the Bible is much more than peace. It's really almost the Garden of Eden. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's everything of perfection is in the word shalom. And so sin disturbs it. Um, and it's a character of human life. Um, it's a expressed in a riot of imagery within the Bible. It's always a gatecrusher. It doesn't belong in God's world. Uh, it's a parasite, it's an uninvited guest. Good, goodness, says C.S. Lewis, is to speak itself, whereas badness is spoiled goodness. So that's a sort of big definition of sin, which is what uh, the last three chapters 
um, we've been looking at, um, it's been talking about. Now, a superficial reading of Romans 6, the bit that Mark's just read, is really that we died with Christ, therefore we're dead to sin, and able to be alive to a co-resurrected life with Jesus. Through baptism, we've left the old country where sin is sovereign, and therefore we should be living in sinless perfection, which is patently untrue and not what it says. So we need to just look at some of the tenses in a moment. The insane but influential Russian monk, Rasputin, taught his followers that after their conversion, they should go and sin more and more, so that in being forgiven, they would feel more and more of God's love. It was not a new heresy, as this is what Paul has been dealing with. And it's part of the central argument that uh, Mark and Paul last week, and I'm speaking about tonight, uh, it's this whole thing of understanding what sin is and what grace is, and not to confuse them. But we also have to understand the different tenses here. So, first of all, what you have been set free from is the penalty of sin. In verses 6 and 7, it says we've died and we've been freed from sin. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, the past is totally forgiven. Your guilt's been removed. The penalty for your sin, past, present and future, has been paid. You're set free from the penalty. We may still do it. We go to Jesus. We ask for forgiveness. We are cleansed and forgiven. And then we have this in verse 6. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Our salvation is not yet complete. There's a future tense to salvation. One day we will be united with Jesus. One day we will be forever freed from the presence of sin and will enjoy the uninterrupted presence of God forever. But we're not yet there. And then the other verb is we are being saved from the power of sin. Romans 6 in the message, 11 to 14, reads, From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. I'm going to come back to this. And you hang on to every word. You're dead to sin, alive to God. That's what Jesus said. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full-time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. This is the present tense of salvation. We are being set free from the power, the control, and the addiction element of sin as we choose to say yes to Jesus. So we're promised freedom, freedom from shackles, 
from the grip of sin, from the grip of addiction, from the hostile sin country, from the enemy. We can think of freedom as coming out of prison, but even then we still carry the memories and the effects of having been there. Maybe it appeared to be a good prison. Some sin is initially very enjoyable. We actually wouldn't do it otherwise. However, I think our main difficulty is we carry sin inside ourselves. And although we can be cut free from external um, shackles or someone's grip on us, who wants to cut out a bit of their own inside? And that is our difficulty, and that's how we have to learn to keep coming to Jesus. As I've said, sin is both active, i.e. crossing the line, and passive, missing the mark. Now, this passive is the failure to become, but I want to look at the active first. I'm picking up, really, on what Paul was talking about last week. In order to be set free from the power of sin in our lives, we need to understand that we have a new identity. We live in that new container that was Paul was talking about last week. We live in our new identity, which is the person God always intended us to be. In the message, um, Eugene Peterson writes, sin is a dead language. God speaks to us in our mother tongue. Now, in the Tarzan story, um, all good stories have got a gospel message in them, you know. In the Tarzan story, um, Tarzan has been um, raised by apes after his English parents die in the jungle. There's different stories around this, several versions, but one I'm going to talk about, his parents died in the jungle, he was rescued by the apes and raised by the apes. And one day he finds the hut where he was born and his parents died. And he finds photos and he looks more like the photos than he does the apes. And he teaches himself to read and speak. He learns to speak his mother tongue, his true identity. Now for us, in order to understand the grip of sin, we need to understand who we really are and step into our Jesus inheritance, the Jesus container. And that what's in there. It's the kingdom of love, of peace, of forgiveness, of joy. And we need to know this is our rightful place. We're invited and we're meant to be there. And we belong In the um, Tarzan story, some human beings arrive in the jungle and a lot of them are good, but one's bad. As I say, it's always a gospel story. There's the evil one. And Tarzan has to rescue the apes. But by now he knows he's not an ape. But he's able to rescue them. And so when we're fully in our inheritance, fully who we know we're called to be, we have that authority 
that we're not defined by who we were. We're not defined by that sin. When we see ourselves as nothing but a sinner, we give sin power. Seeing ourselves as sinners excludes us from the power that is available to us. If we focus on the truth, we have been put right with Christ, we are the righteousness of Christ, we will focus on Jesus and all he is doing in and through us. The heart that desires God is our true identity. It is the real us. It's the part of us that's going to live forever. Who the Bible calls our new nature. The part of us that wants to sin is not who we really are. I believe our original DNA is deeper and precedes our sin nature. Our difficulty is when we are broken or enslaved by sin, we switch this truth and believe a lie. We believe that everything good in us is fraudulent and, we're, and not really us, but everything bad is what we're really like. And that is the lie of the enemy. That is the lie that keeps us imprisoned. You know, people who say things, if they really knew me. If we really knew us, the, the, all that we're going to become, the princes and princesses in the kingdom, we'd be amazed. But we, we are imprisoned in this lie and this sin. And of course, if we're defined with that, we don't feel eligible to live in the correct container. The more we live in the kingdom and are fed by God's love and presence, the bigger our true selves become and the more sin loses its grip and power. The more we speak our mother tongues to our, each other, the more we're able to grow. Temptation is what it is, temptation. It's not sin. At this point, if it's an addiction, we need to deliberately turn to God. Remember he exists. You know, we can be so, have a fogging of the intellect, as C.S. Lewis calls it, that the sin around us just blocks us to even the awareness that God exists. So we have to remember God exists, that he is good, and that he never, ever leaves us. And at that point, if you're really gripped by something, you need to phone someone to pray with you. Who we believe we are affects what we do. As I said, if we believe we're nothing but an old rotten sinner, then we just keep sinning. It depends what we focus on. You know, if ever you've been on a diet and you're not normally someone who wants breakfast, if you go on a diet, you're hungry by half past eight because all you're thinking about is food. And that's what sin's like. So we have to learn what we focus on. If we believe that we're right with God, the automatic response is to do right. To quote Joyce Meyer, we need a righteousness conscience not a sin conscience. So but I also want to look at the, um, what I call the passive side of sin. 
the failure to become all that God's called us to be, the not reaching the mark. The Bishop of London at Kate and William's wedding quoted St. Catherine of Siena. He said, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Now, a Bible story that illustrates this, this failure to become, this sin, is the man who hides his talents. Saying in one version, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways. And this is such an image of uh, the fear of God, a distorted image of God, a perfectionism in the person which doesn't allow for any grace. And often it's for people who are thinking God will demand too much of them. Never be good enough. Don't have what it takes. And so we hide and settle for less than. We fear that God will overwhelm us. Or we fear other people's disapproval if we really grow and change. For some, it's that we're comfortable. It's a form of apathy, happy in our hobbit caves. When we cooperate with these fears, we're refusing the fullness of our existence. Because unlike other created things, God has given us the freedom to choose to become ourselves or not. That is how much he loves us, but also how much he respects us, that we can choose that or not. So, where did all this begin? Whether it's active or passive sin. Most people, not you of course, well versed in the Bible, but most people who don't know very much, if you ask them, what God's first commandment in the Bible was, they would say, thou shalt not eat of the tree. Which, of course, is not true. God's first commandment was prosper. Reproduce. Fill the earth. Take charge. And it goes on to say, I've given you every kind of um, fruit-bearing tree for food. Eat. But when Adam and Eve were tempted, they forgot. They forgot all that was good. They forgot the provision. Forgetfulness and the lies that causes us to believe about God and ourselves, I believe, is the beginning of sin. Mark Buchanan writes, All the wickedness in the world begins with the act of forgetting. And so we forget the goodness of God. We forget he's there with us. And so in order to be set free from sin, we need to live in our new identity and to remember. Remember all that God has done for us and do so with gratitude. It's interesting, the word remember in the Greek is anamnesia, which means to call to mind that which has happened and is happening in the unseen world and to bring it into this present moment. It's a great fullness of the word remember. God did that for me. God is with me. God can help me right now. And as we do this with gratitude, 
And it's not just when life is good, but it's in the bad times because God is good no matter what is happening. Then we start to be able to be set free. In conclusion, I'm going to read from Philippians 3, 12 and 14 from the Passion Translation. I admit I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Now that's what we all want, isn't it? So if you'd like to stand now, I'm going to pray for you and then there's three areas I'd like people to come forward for for some prayer. Let me pray for you first. Father God, we want to say sorry where we just are unable in our frailty to understand the fullness of everything you have done for us, everything that you are doing for us, and everything that we will understand when we come to heaven of the fullness of your glory and your presence and your love. So I pray now that you will come and just minister your love to us and your power. And I pray that you'll release to each one of us an enlarged vision of how we can be totally forgiven, set free from stuff that grips us and have the courage to become. Thank you, Father. Amen. So if the um, worship group would like to come up, I would like people to come up, particularly those when it, you know, we keep saying, oh, God's forgiven all your sins. But very often, although we know he has, we don't feel forgiven or we are still holding judgment against ourselves. So if that's you, I'd like you to come up. Also, those of you who are stuck in a circle of doing something you don't want to do. But the other group is those of you who know that you're not really meeting the full potential of all that you are in God for whatever reason. So if those three groups would like to come up, we will pray for you.